So pretty much, I actually started um, at Ohio University and athletic training was where I started. I wasn't actually quite sure what athletic training was when I went to college, I'm not going to lie. Because in high school, you know, you're a part of sports and you sit on the sidelines, you're like, oh, this guy's always here. He's fun to be with. You know, he takes my ankle, says some funny stuff. He's always around and always knows what he's talking about. Little did I know, though. So when I went to college, that was more sports med based, which was cool. And I was like, well, I want to know this as well. And that kind of got me down the path to figure out, like, how I need to do both those things, both athletic training and strength conditioning. So I always enjoyed being in the weight room and especially somebody that's my size, you know, and you've heard this, I'm sure a thousand times from other coaches is it's what you have to do in order to compete. I mean, I was a younger athlete. I graduated high school at 17. I'm going against guys that were 19 full beards. And and I'm like, well, I got to do some work, you know? So it was a combination of being undersized and younger, um, along with just uh, needing a harder work ethic. They got me into strength conditioning. And then in college, when I went to Ohio University, jumping into athletic training was kind of a dip my toe into the water and realize like, hey, I really enjoy that, so stay with that, but also combine it with strength conditioning, which later on gave me an edge, which is what allowed me to be in the position I'm in. So going back um, to where we're at with OU, I I went all the way through, did um, four years of athletic training, and then helped out a little bit with uh, strength conditioning as well as did all my clinical sites with that. So we'll call it kind of like a, a dual major where you're able to get um, a lot of expertise on both from what you're doing. So with athletic training, it um, opened up some doors for me because when I first graduated from Ohio University, I ended up having my athletic training licensure, which Um, well, certification and licensure, which allows you to practice athletic training. And I also took the CSCS, which made me eligible to be a strength conditioning coach. I had taken those tests pretty much three days apart. It was a a rough senior uh, spring semester, to say the least, the setting. But um, so I was kind of looking for jobs and nothing was really fitting exactly what I wanted until I actually was working two or three jobs at the same time. So I was working at a, a local high school per diem for athletic training, as well as I was doing a part-time thing for, it's called Ignition Sports Performance in um, Cincinnati, Ohio. So what was nice for them is I was doing athletic training for them, but also a little strength conditioning because guess what? I had dual roles. So position opened up to where they took a team all the way over to China. Well, it's a lot cheaper to send one person versus two. And that's kind of where things started to take off for me because I went over there with this high-level basketball team that was going to go play the Chinese national team, right? Well, guess what? Instead of it costing, say, the company $10,000, it ended up costing them five. And I really enjoyed that and thought it was something that was good that a lot of people don't have. Um, And then going further on, like, that was a really fun experience. We came back um, after about three or four weeks there in China. And then I'm like, all right, well, what else can I do? So actually, when I first got back, they were playing another Dominican Republic um, national team, which Coach Calipari was actually coaching at the time. And I was talking to him and his athletic trainer. And they're like, well, you probably should get your master's if you're wanting to continue and go into whatever you want to, because it's becoming that competitive. You can't just get away with really just experience and a bachelor's anymore. And I was like, oh, shit. Well, I guess I better uh, figure something out, which is how I ended up at Cal U, which is how we met. So what I ended up doing, I literally applied 
that same week that I got back and they were playing the Dominican Republic's team. Um, well, I guess I forgot to mention this point. So all the, the players, they were high level college players that were either playing overseas or locally. It, it's the G league now, but it's the, it was the D league back then. I mean, this is 2012, yeah. um, which is gap year. Cause I graduated undergrad in 2011, 2012 was the gap year where I'm working, but I'm still trying to figure things out. And, um, and a lot of these guys kind of said the same thing because they're like, look, this is what they're doing till they can't do it any longer. And I'm like, well, what would, uh, kind of progress that, which got me further into strength and conditioning as well. Um, so then I, again, applied to Cal U, I ended up getting in, but I applied for athletic training because they have a grad, um, assistantship program that was able to pay for college because at that time I had no money. I didn't want to take out any loans or do any of that. So the first day I walked on campus, they're giving us a tour around. They take us in the weight room. I'm like, great, this is actually where I want to be. And I walk in and Bob and Phil are there working out. And they're like, oh, you look athletic. And they called me out. They're like, uh, we're going to work out at 6 a.m. tomorrow. So I was like, I'm, again, I'm a young guy. I'm like, I'll be fine. And that's literally how I got into the strength conditioning realm and that network where they're at because – called me out. I'm like, all right, well, I'll be there. And then lo and behold, I was there for the, the entire rest of the year and did everything I could with every team I could, along with a grad assistantship where I was sent out to Penn State Fayette, which again, I dueled there where I was able to be their athletic trainer and strength conditioning coach because it's a smaller branch campus. So it just helped sharpen the um, skills there as well. So I was very fortunate and lucky to kind of just get these little bits. And again, it, it's half of its luck and half of it's just continue to work hard because if you do the right things, guess what? You're going to get opportunities. And that's why at Cal, I got plenty of opportunities because um, Jason Gross, who used to be there, he's no longer there because of a lot of cuts. Um, well, he lived pretty far away. Well, I lived on campus and they had moved the um, football workouts to five o'clock. So guess what? Jumped right into that opportunity, which again, it just shows that you're willing to do these things. And I guess yeah. that was kind of my road to, at least education wise where I was getting to. And then I was fortunate enough right after grad school to go work at, it's called elite athletic performance in Mechanicsburg, which is kind of like a smaller version of what I do now. And, um, and again, it's one of those things like you're cutting your teeth because you're a younger coach and you're, you know, more than apparently, at least I thought I did. I actually know a lot less now than I did then, but it, it was a really good experience because I got to meet a lot of people. And those high schools there send a lot of kids to different places because they don't have high school strength conditioning. Like there is no one person that um, is brought on by the school. So they all get to come to your facility. Well, those high schools are massive. Like Cumberland Valley graduates 800 to 1,000 kids. So right there, I mean, I'm getting 20 or 30 Division One caliber athletes coming to me just from one school. And there's another one, Cedar Cliff, that's 600. Mechanicsburg's another 600. Carlisle's six to 800. Like, there's these massive schools. So it was just – it was a great opportunity. And I didn't even know where Mechanicsburg was at the time. I just was willing to take any job. Um, yeah. So I did that for a few years. And circling back, I was like, man, I wonder if, you know, how, how do you move up? Because there's great, but nobody's really moving. You, you love your job. And I'm one of those people that I'm never satisfied. So I started – looking around, not that I was ready to leave, but just, you know, seeing if there were opportunities. And it just happened to come along at the, the right time and place that a director role at Pro Performance in Morgantown opened up. And 
Bob Sapizi, who's Cal's um, head strength and conditioning coach, he actually had sent um, the contact to me because he's like, hey, I know you're kind of looking around. I think this is a good opportunity for you. And he actually knew the manager at the time. His name was uh, Brad Ray. He was the manager of like two of the locations. So that got me an interview with the general manager, um, Rob Dunleavy. And fortunately, he wasn't so impressed with what I wanted to do and my background that he didn't even interview anybody else and took me right on. And I've been there for, well, coming up on five years now, and we've done nothing but, but grow, but I can't take the credit for that. It's a lot of the other awesome people I get to work with. So yeah, that's uh, me rambling for what I've done the last few years. <laughs> so I know me and you both deal with all high school athletes, at least we'll say 95. So yeah. I know a lot of it is like I talked to Bobby about this yesterday was, you know, we got to keep the basics in it. And that was kind of our topic for this was um, focusing and maintaining on the basics and kind of developing that patience and the kind of the, like everyone loves to say the word grind, but I mean, it really is. It's like the love yeah. of, the, of trying to learn, you know, 90 degrees is 90 degrees, regardless if you feel what 90 degrees is or isn't you know, that's your depth you got to hit or, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. It's, I don't know. It's one of those things where we sit at a pivotal role for a lot of college coaches and a lot of college strength coaches that we can help to make or break an athlete, you know, skill wise. It's not, unless that's our sport and we teach that that's not our worry anymore, which is nice. Um, we can just focus on, you know, I want to get you moving a certain way and I can have someone else come in and say, Hey, let's work on your hands. Let's work on your feet. And we can go from there. I know there's a lot of times we can kind of overlap those a little bit, mm -hmm. but it does, I think it does help us as professionals make those connections when we have those athletes go off to certain places. And then that college coach starts calling us and saying, Hey, you know, you worked with so-and-so, what was he like in the weight room? Uh, I want your honest report. You know, they're looking for certain people. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that we'll call it people helping people, meaning one, you're helping the athlete, two, you're helping the other coaches, and it's a whole networking system to where you take them from A to B, somebody else takes them from B to C, and if they're over here at E, you got to bring them back to where they need to be. And it's just, one, building the best person you can, and I, that sets a lot of the – um, standards for where you're at, but it, it always comes back to the principles and, and your basics, no matter whether you're training a middle school, a high school, college, professional, it, it really just comes back to, hey, are these things met or are they not met? And if we can, whatever coach, I guess, depending on wherever they are, if they have these certain goals that they want that athlete to hit at whatever college, it's like, can we help them reach that? So that way, when they come into the role, um, being a college athlete, they're able to just take it and keep running with it. So, and what I mean by that, for instance, is if I've got a, a guy that's going to go play at say WVU where they clean and they high bar back squat, well, I need to make sure that the athlete that I have is prepared for that and understands that. So they have one less thing to worry about both for themselves and both for the coach. But if I have another athlete that's going to say Cal where, you know what, they kind of cut out cleans for a while. So how else are they doing? So maybe I need to teach that one kettlebell swings, which still abide by the principles and it's still our hip hinge. It's just realizing that we just need to prepare those athletes to be 
in whatever situation that they are. And then when we're making them better people, it's just them understanding that we're trying to get the most out of them each and every day. And the principles are still the same, but our methods and our movements might change, but either way, they're still going to be better off. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a question that I I've honestly until right now, never thought about talking to my athletes about when they go on their recruiting visits and stuff and where they're thinking of going. So that's going to be another, another, little note to jot down for me. Um, and I think it's another one that I think athletes don't think of either is to ask, you know, like to ask the strength conditioning side of their visit. Like, how are you prepping for in season, out of season, postseason? Yeah. It's, it's everybody has their own unique ways. And one of the things that I've been hearing the last couple of years, um, Gary Schofield came up with this one and he helped found the high school strength conditioning coaches association is it's a unified, but not uniform approach. And I've been preaching this to my other strength coaches recently is we all have the same philosophy, right? But I might coach something a little bit different and somebody else might coach something different, but it still falls in that same philosophy and the same principles. But like, I might like doing a, a Russian kettlebell swing more and somebody else might like just doing a broad jump and they have their, they're same places, but we both coach them very similar and the same. And it's just, again, realizing that that's okay. And a lot of athletes struggle with that because when they come from say somewhere else, they're like, well, I was taught this and this always has to be that. I'm like, guys, it's a little fluid. It's, it's funny. Like when the, they used to teach you, like know the rules before you break them, but that's literally how it is. It's, you know, know what you're dealing with. And then from there you can play around with it, which is circling back to our high school athletes is we have to teach them some of the basics. Like I got a kid that comes in with no training background. So I literally need to teach him a goblet squat or even how to body weight squat actually first. And if he has the prerequisites to even do that first, I have another kid that might've been training since he's been eight years old. And if I put him on a, a goblet squat, he's going to be so bored and can blow through that where I'm like, well, you know, we got to load you up and do something fun. And I think that's something else that people forget. And this part of our principles is having fun because it keeps you motivated, especially with high school athletes. If they're not engaged, they're not going to give you good effort and you're never going to get out of them what you want and what they need. So it's like, never forget that too. So. Yeah. And I know it's, I think this is another thing a lot of strength coaches and I'm going to say trainers just because there's a, so many more personal trainers out there now that oh, yeah. handle athletes. And I mean, I don't like to include that, but it, at least in our field as of now, that's kind right. of what we have to compete with. But with all the coaches out there, you know, you've got those kids that are looking for some, for a style you know, yeah. and they're, they look at your training sometimes and they go, okay, well, this isn't like, you know, this isn't what I want to be doing. And I go, okay, well, what's your ultimate goal? Like if your ultimate goal is the same as what you told me earlier, this is my method to get you there. And it might not look flashy. It might not give you these humongous numbers you might be looking for, but it's going to get you to where you need to be. Yeah. And that was like a, big point I hit with Bobby when we were going back and forth was, you know, the idea of using uh, a number to compare to physics in a movement, just, it doesn't equate. Yes. And I don't care if you can back squat 405, if you can't move the person in front of you, then it, it's really irrelevant. Yeah, it, it's, 
it's tough because a lot of kids don't see that or they're not ready for it. So when you meet these athletes where they're at, sometimes you have to like, you know what, we're going to do it an agility ladder because you think that's going to get you there, except we're going to apply my principles to it. And then I'll let you play with it for a couple minutes. So it's like, you know what, it, it will achieve a good warm up, right? So we're like, you know what, you think that that makes you fast. Once I get their buy-in and their trust, Right. I'll be like, all right, well, we did that. And this is the reason why. So it's still aligned with our principles and partly with the fun. But I also want you to realize, like, the jumps and throws I do do are the things that are actually making you fast, not what you thought made you fast. But again, you have to get in there first, because if you want to beat your head against the wall, it's just tell athletes, oh, you just got to listen to me. You got to trust me. It takes so much effort. You're going to get one out of 100. That'll be like, all right, whatever you tell me, I'm going to jump in. Most of them, you have to earn their trust. And sometimes you can't get them to listen to you unless you have to compromise a little bit. And, you know, that, that's something that I learned, like from what I was telling you, when I first got done with grad school and I had these new athletes all of a sudden that weren't as willing to just be like, all right, we're doing this. They're like, well, I think that's stupid. I don't want to do that. And I'm like, all right, great. So how do I reach these guys? Cause I was dealing with some really high level athletes. I mean, these guys were literally playing on the, the national level. Right. And they're, they've been through it. They understand it. They trust right away because you're a person that has some authority, but dealing with middle school and high school kids, they don't care what authority you have or what education they buy into you and the trust that you have. So that just takes time. Like my eight year olds that I have, they don't know the difference, whether you've coached Mike Tyson for boxing, or if you coach Michael Jordan for basketball, they don't even know who either of those guys are. Right. They just know that they just got done watching Paw Patrol and that if they run around in this ladder like they see on these TV shows that they think they'll get faster for whatever soccer yeah. term they're getting to. That probably sounded terrible, yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it brings a great point, though. It does. It brings a great point. I mean, I was actually going through my um, finishing some of my syllabus for teaching phys ed at different ages and, you know, to. Like I grouped, I grouped, you know, a couple grades together here and there because it really sometimes is just a small progression. We might follow the same train of thought each year, but there's going to be, you know, maybe there's going to be advanced, we'll say basic, basic strength movements in fifth grade. And then we just go to intermediate in sixth and then more maybe intermediate advanced in seventh. I mean, it might just be touching on it for three weeks four weeks, five weeks, and then we might not see it again until next year. And it really is weird to think sometimes how much you can break that down between mm -hmm. six months or a year. And even looking at myself and going, you know, I was ecstatic when I cleaned 165. Like I cleaned a jerk 165, ecstatic. I look back on it and go, well, now it's at like 190. And I'm thinking, why am I not getting it up there faster? You know, why have I not hit 200? You know, yep. why have I not clean and jerk 200? Go, okay, well, it's just mentally, like, I, I have to stay with the process. And I've gotten lucky with some of my athletes. I know you have, we all do to some extent, but you do have those, you will always have those outliers. Oh, I mean, yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. I know, I know we're talking about athletics. But I think it doesn't matter what it is. You always have those outliers with everything. And if you can kind of shed that person that walks out on you or walks out the door on you, if you can just let that go and realize it's not you all the time, 
I think it makes our job easier a little bit. <laughs> Without but a doubt. It's, but it's still that learning, like that, 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 that was still a lesson for us. Like that was still big for us. Like, okay, they liked this, but didn't like this. Was it them? You know, is it their age? Is it something like, is my programming not what they're looking for? Like there's so many factors. And I know that's what kind of lost me sometimes with coaching as well with volleyball was I have a certain style. Um, not everyone likes my style. I mean, I think it goes the same for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it comes down to like, you know, be true to yourself, but also be willing to change a little bit. Like when I first came into strength conditioning, like I was saying, I, I just had like, I thought everybody should low bar back squat. You know, I was good at it. You could lift a little bit more weight. But as I get further along, like my baseball guys, we don't even back squat at all anymore. Right. There's so many other ways to go through that. And it's just really meeting your athletes again, where they are and what boxes you need to check. So, again, not everybody needs to be unique. And if you have 50 kids in a weightlifting class, you need to gear it towards that situation. But if you have the opportunities to change things up, like if I have a baseball group and they're at three o'clock and I know that they're all baseball, you know what? We'll probably front squat or actually we'll probably even split squat instead if it's out of season. I mean, if it's in season, that'll make them sore. But point being is you have your single leg strength that checks that box, right? We're not getting any extension in the upper body, which was a problem for some of them before. Um, but again, if they're multi-sport, you can do that. But just out of a pure theory and thinking, like, why do you have to be so rigid to it? And going back to where we were talking principles before, Dan John does a great job just talking about, like, what are your, you know, five to six main movements where he's talking about squat, push, pull, hip hinge, carries, and then, like, core and everything else is kind of grouped down there where – I always think I'm like, well, if they're in this pattern, does it check the boxes that we need to? And if the athletes understand that and it's within your style, like do that. Like I like coaching kettlebells a little bit more. One of my other coaches, Adam, he likes coaching, say barbells a little more and does a little more cow deep style and they both work. So it's like, I might coach my way a little bit more. And I let those athletes gravitate towards what I'm doing and do that. And the ones that don't, I let them kind of go to what he's doing. And for us, it's a good style, but I have more people to where they can kind of go to that. Other people that don't, they might just have to adapt their style, depending on the group where it's like, you might be a little more hardcore with football. Like the football guys I have, you know what? I get a little more in their face. We get a little more pumped up. They like that. They enjoy it. The high school soccer girls that I have, you know what? I give them autonomy on some of their movements and I trust them a little bit more. And I'm like, all right, well, you go do your stuff. We play, you know, Disney hits and they just enjoy themselves. Right. And, and lift. We don't need to get in their face. They're, they motivate themselves. So it's, you know, two different styles, but it's just adapting to really what, what they need. Because again, what's our, our main thing? What's our mission? And, and to me, it's build better humans and athletes and get the most out of them every session. Yeah, I mean, it was the same thing at Cal U when, when I know um, whenever the girl, like whenever every single team would come in, Bobby or Phil would say, hey, what are you guys feeling today? What, like, what are we putting the radio on? And, you know, it was something as simple as that. And I know I do that from, you know, I try and do that from time to time. I know my athletes kind of, if they're watching this, will laugh at that because <laughs> sometimes I just control the radio and that's it. But, um, you know, it still is like, I know I'll do it during lessons, like one-on-one -on -one lessons. Like, hey. We got the radio. What do you want to listen to? Do you care? You know, what's going to make you focused? Or do you just want to have a, a relaxed lift? You know, what do you want to do? And I try and give them more, 
more power, but not let them get carried away. Like, hey, you know, you are ultimately in control of pushing yourself, but I'm not going to let you sit here and say, oh, I'm at like an eight out of 10 when I can see you're not straining. You're talking to me mid rep and <laughs> you're, you're accelerating at 300% with, you know, what 20 pounds less than what you were doing last time. So there is still those check and balances. Like you're saying, you know, we got to make sure that they're doing what they need to do. Yeah. And that just comes down to continuing to build that relationship and see where they are and meet them where they are each day. Um, I've talked about this in some of the articles I've written in daily with some of my athletes. It's like they're having a bad day. Their boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with them. Usually what happens is the guys are going to PR because they're really mad and the girls are going to have one of the worst lifts ever. But then a week later, it's going to be opposite. The guy's going to be like, oh, I'm having such a bad day. I just saw my ex-girlfriend on a date. Right. And then they have the worst lift ever. And then the girl would sit there and have a PR day because she just went on like a, a new date and everything's new and she's happy. So it's just, again, meeting those athletes where, where they are and understanding what's going on and that those fluctuations happen a lot more when they're younger because of the emotional states and puberty, pre-puberty and all that versus their college where they're a little more mature and they understand consistency. But again, that's partly us to teach them those things and guide them through that and be like, Hey, you can't let some of these factors um, irritate you or, or change how you are. So like, as soon as you cross the threshold, you need to kind of put this mindset in, but again, it, it's onto us to be able to coach that. And strength and conditioning is just a medium. It's just a medium to help athletes get better in general, because at, at some point now strength and conditioning is a, a lifelong thing, but at some point they're not going to be athletes anymore. Whether that happens yeah. at 12, 16, 20, 40, um, 60. I mean, I guess if you're still playing golf, it still counts. But point being is like, at some point it's going to run out and those skills and traits that we hopefully were a part of the process and instilled in them is something that will carry them forever that we need to realize, like we have huge impacts on them. There's stuff that I've said in passing that athletes say like two years later, I'm like, I don't even remember saying that. And it had this huge impact on them. And I'm like, man, I really got to watch what I say some more, but usually it's good <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, like when it when it comes down to like all that stuff, you know, you're you're looking at uh, what they really become in the weight room, and you know, just like you're saying, it does it carries. I mean, it carries it. Your 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 max your your PR and deadlift is your PR and deadlift. It doesn't make you who you are. Like you you accomplish the goal. That's awesome, but the athlete might not see it right then. And I think the ones that convey that message, like they know, you know, I, I PR'd, I pulled 515 in deadlift. And then they tell you, you know, but I'm going to be a really good father one day or something. Like, you know, they convey this deep message to you somehow throughout training. And you know that they're doing this for a different reason. They're not doing this to look good. They're not doing this to make a statement in social media or whatever it is they're doing this for deep, positive, personal reasons because they want to either set an image for someone younger than them, they want to set an image for someone who's next to them, or they want to try and create something for someone to follow. Yeah, and, and that's huge. And I see that more with my like college and professional guys when they finally get to that level. I don't really see a lot of, we'll say, middle schoolers saying that or even uh, yeah. high schoolers. But, I mean, you do get those one – 
one or two that that are like that. And I can think off the top of my head right now, I've got two athletes in high school that do think that way, but they're the ones that spread it and try to help out the other people. And they'll eventually get there. It's just, just like um, when we think training age, you have some that are ones where they just started training. We got to teach them the basics, which is just proper etiquette and how to be around other individuals. And then you have other ones that are on level like 20 where they're over here, like picking up other people, making their lives better. Oh, you need to jump your car. Like I'll stop my workout right now, run out and jump your car where they say stuff. You're just like, man, that's deep. Like you said, it's just, it's fun to see the difference between everybody and kind of help them where they are. And again, utilizing strength conditioning as a medium. And for me, like most days, like I'm going to have a great day because I get to go into work and, and help kids with that. And sometimes when I'm like in a mediocre mood, I'm like, man, that's not fair to them. So sometimes yes. we have to pick it up and use the energy off our athletes to get the most out of them and ourselves and relearn the same lesson that we've learned over and over again. So I out of so like back to the like the idea of like teaching the basic and everything out of I mean I'm gonna just say like five or actually three so like if if I'm to pick three basics overall like if I'm to train anybody athletics um, general like gen pop anything like that like I'm looking at someone who needs to pick something up um, squat with something in their hands and push something over their head. You know, for me, those are my three general, like I have to, they, they have to understand that. And I think the only, I'm, I mean, and this is just for me, but the only addition to that is moving something with power as if it's a snatch or a clean. Right. Um, because you know, in the jerk, you're, you're pushing. So you're already there. You know, you, I, I think the, the clean and jerk is, I mean, besides the snatch being the most powerful movement, you know, the clean and jerk, you have all those components right there. So if you can get somebody and they don't have to clean and jerk, but if you can get them in those three movements, I think you right. can make, or not, I'm not gonna say make, you can help create a successful athlete. Yeah. So if I were to pick three, I'm going to sprint, I'm going to jump, and I'm going to throw something. So you don't ever, I mean, you need equipment really for the throw but to sprint and jump you don't so i got a lot to throw at you i'm gonna throw some concepts at you later um all right just think like sprinting it's one of the most maximal things that you can do you can do a short distance yeah. long distance so you can cover all your energy systems right so you have vertical and horizontal displacement as well with jumping right and then throwing and the reason that we say sprint jump and throw is you also have planes of motion this is uh one of like the soapbox things that we've kind of talked about the last couple months um, where I work is right. We love Olympic lifts. I enjoy Olympic lifts, but I've kind of moved away from them a lot with my athletes because I feel like I found a, a more efficient, better way, right. With just sprinting, jumping and say throwing a med ball different ways against the wall where I'm not coaching as much. Athletes have a harder intent with it. Now we still might do derivatives. We might do clean pulls and whatnot, but I want to think about power being plane specific, right? So we, that's literally a law like power is plane specific. And um, when you do certain movements, right? Think most of those Olympic lifts, which are great, they're in the sagittal plane. Well, how do I create power and rotational power? And referring back to like our baseball and volleyball, you have to work on rotational power. So how do we do that? We work on, think we throw a med ball against the wall. Now, if you're a track athlete and you got shot put discus, 
most athletes aren't getting that and they're not getting it both ways. So like a lot of our baseball guys are swinging literally the bat a million times in one direction. So we need to do some rotation the other way, um, whether that's them practicing a few extra swings with a baseball bat, the opposite direction, or you just throw the med ball the other way. And we use a lot of Eric Cressy stuff where it's like four to 12 pounds. Most of the time we're still four to eight pounds to create a lot of power through that. Um, and again, there's different progressions. You can sprint with weight. You can sprint with outweight. You can do the overspeed, which is debatable whether that really works. Same thing. You can jump without weight. You can do depth drops. But again, it's meeting everybody where they're at. But I still ask the question, like, even though you might create the most power, say, in a snatch, maybe that athlete doesn't create the most power there. And maybe it's not transferable to that point. And this is just really talking points, because if you think about it, right? Your hip angle is a certain angle and you create power just a little bit out of those angles. Think when you do isometrics for rehab, they're like, okay, well, it's only like a couple degrees outside of wherever you do that isometric that your strength is. Well, just yeah. for a talking point again, well, if I'm doing a, a clean and a jerk, well, am I only strong, you know, a little bit outside of that? Or do I need to do a different movement to be there? And then I think, well, Olympic lifts are great for being an Olympic weightlifter, as well as a lot of track and field athletes, because it applies directly to that. But what about our other field athletes? Like maybe there's better stuff that we haven't tested yet because as sports science evolves, as strength conditioning evolves, and we start realizing some of these other things that we can do, like med balls weren't as big of a thing um, even 10 years ago as they are now. Right. So yeah. it's like, are we figuring out that maybe these are better? Cause they're a lot harder to test. I know that doing a, a mid thigh pool is really easy for a lot of my friends to do in, in the lab and they know what power is out of there at that certain angle. And that's again, research, but again, we're practitioners on the other side. You know, I've had a couple of conversations with Louis Simmons when he's come into pro and that guy's a genius and remembers every number that anybody has ever squatted, deadlifted or pressed. It's ridiculous. But you know, people thought he was crazy with that, but he's using accommodating resistance with bands, with chains, with all kinds of these different things at different angles, making people stronger through those angles. Now I do think a lot of his stuff applies really well to, um, obviously powerlifting and the strength movements, but we have to have athletes that are working at a different velocity, right? Think the whole force velocity curve where are we checking all those boxes where it's like, you know what, I do need to clean this month, or maybe I need to do an isometric pull this month, which is still a hip hinge. Think maybe we'll do a speed strength, strength speed, uh, circuit max, max strength, depending on where we're at, whatever movement works best for that. But it's like, okay, well, it's pretty easy for a hip hinge in the sagittal plane to figure those things out. But it's really hard to figure out a rotational movement for those. Like, what is your, your max effort rotational movement? Like, what are you willing to risk? It's like, am I just pressing it at a wall at each angle as hard as I can? Or do I need to throw a 10-pound med ball, a 20-pound med ball? So just, just some thoughts, but I know that's a, a oh, lot to unpack. Oh, I, I, we, we incorporate a lot of that stuff, too. I mean, I was just – like, I, I, I love the idea because I've been seeing a lot more medicine ball stuff as well, especially in the volleyball community, um, with following a lot of the strength coaches and stuff that deal with just clubs. So it, it's funny you mentioned that um, because I've started to use a little bit more medicine balls in, in lifts. I've started to have them work on their, like, I will use Fridays just for footwork, work on, you know, spring mechanic, agility, reaction you know, multi-directional. And um, I do like that. Like, I, I do like incorporating those things. And it is really, it is really cool to see um, 
especially I know I like to use landmines to mm-hmm. have them rotate through and it's it's one of those things like when they first do them they're like okay this this is not supposed to move like this and I'm like well I'm gonna tell you right now it's, a, it's the same idea as if you're gonna throw something over your head or you're gonna shot put something out of your hand I said once you step and you, you let your body flow once you let your body flow you realize what you can like incorporate um you're gonna slam that bar through the roof and then they go, oh, yeah, uh, coach, can I go up by, like, 10, 15 pounds? Okay, yeah, sure. All right, let's start with five. Let's see how you move. And then let's keep going. But, yeah, it is It is one of those things, like, I started doing um, what I'll call, like, uh, um, uh, a frog jump or a, a hip mm-hmm. thrust uh, with, like, a kneeling medicine ball to just go out. And basically, they have to get out so far where they're almost, if they don't get their hands there, they're going to eat the turf. So, you know, some of them are like, oh, this is going to be ridiculous. And I said, it's a lot of fun. Like, this is how training can be incorporated to keep you focused and you guys can start competing. And I know a lot of the guys, it's automatic. Like, they, they want to be better than the other person, regardless of their size differential or who can, who's stronger. They still want to see if they can outwork the other person in those little aspects. Oh, absolutely. And speaking on reaction training all that that's something that we incorporate a lot i have to send you that article that i put together on that where the fun is a thing and competing is another thing so that's what allows us to do what we need to do to get the most out of them every day like on friday you're probably tired from the week well that's a instant motivator right there's competition and fun like those are the two things that you need and like we do a lot of rock paper scissors where that's like our tier three think one two three where they have to assess where Okay, well, did I win at rock, paper, scissors? Well, the one person that won rock, paper, scissors gets to pick what side. They just immediately take off, think like the mirror drill. Another person has to tag them. So you have to process who won the game, what direction your opponent's going, and if you can tag them before they get to that cone to where they're at. So that's why we have that being tier three. But again, it's training that reaction and, and making it fun. And guess what? Now we're hitting our other planes of motion too. So it's just checking a lot of those boxes, especially with high school athletes. Um, and same thing with your college athletes. People forget, too, to have fun with them. Yeah, they're training for a goal, and they're more specific, and they've been doing it a lot longer. But sometimes they need it more than anybody else because they're not playing anymore. They don't get that chance to play a different sport. So those guys are like, well, you know what? They're football all year round, where before they were doing football, basketball, baseball, where even if you are doing everything and say, one plane in one sport, well, you're hitting a new movement. You're, you're doing a drop step in basketball. You're doing a rotation in baseball to where you're covering and checking some of those boxes and you might see more injuries in some of those college athletes when they play the same sport because they're not checking those boxes at the same time it also has more time with the strength conditioning coach which that's when we come in to fill that gap so it's also educating those kids before they go to college that we have like hey this is what you're going to deal with this is what you're going to have to understand and if you're not getting some of that shoot me a text and we'll talk through it and find a way to solve that problem yeah i know um I want to get. I want. I want to pick your brand on one thing. Um, what's your What's your feel on um, like heavy isometrics with, or maybe not heavy isometrics, but isometrics with heavier complex movements? Um, no, we we do those. So we look at a lot of like Cal Deet stuff, and then we modify it to fit, say, our circumstances. Like 
I think French contrast training is fun. Now we don't do it with really too many of our athletes, just some of the more elite ones that are further along in their career. But some of these athletes have fun with that. So we might do an isometric um, just on a hip hinge. So a sumo isometric deadlift where we're putting the J hooks up at a certain um, say shin height, knee height, mid thigh height, and we're holding for three to five seconds and we'll do two week cycles that like what Cal does. But we might also the next cycle pair it with say you, you do an isometric and then we do a box jump or we'll do an isometric and a, and a broad jump. And again, you have the different loads. That's not exactly French contrast, but point being is you're using your yeah. potentiation on that. And um, again, again, it makes it fun, but we do it with our athletes and we think, right now that is a great thing and works really, really well um, until we figure something else better or that we're wrong. We're going to keep doing it all the time. Yeah. Um, I know this was another, and this is one of those. So like, bear with me because you're probably going <laughs> to laugh at this at first because we did too. I was talking with one of my guys that I work with and um, you look at how the type one fibers mm -hmm. where, you know, you can obviously you work them to a certain threshold it doesn't matter. Everyone has that threshold until you start, you know, putting in something um, non-biological into your body. Uh, but do you think we as professionals could ever get to the point to find a way to train the, I mean, we're, I'm going to word this correctly, the reactiveness, we'll say the... Um, contractile components of a tendon within the body like um, you know, we'll say if we, like if we look at the kneecap and we look at the patellar tendon you know everyone loves to jump high but mm -hmm. is there a way that that you can end up treating a tendon like a muscle uh kind of you train it similar um i have some personal experience with that i ruptured my achilles and 2016 so i had to rehab back from that as well as having a few other athletes come to us after they've done different ruptures and um same thing acl which is a ligament um they all have their own properties but you can train them all differently i'll have to send you um a podcast that i actually just listened to this last week on tendons and tendon health um isometrics which we just got into are, are great for them and i i do think that you can train them very similar to a muscle, you just have to understand what properties they have and train them according to that. So for instance, like say a muscle gets strong in four weeks. Well, the tendon might take three to four months to do the same thing. So, well, how do you do that? How do you keep it fun? How do you continue to progress? Well, realizing that for say an athlete to come back like I did from an Achilles rupture, well, month one, which is making the muscle stronger along with the tendon, you might do your goblet squat well okay that's your squat pattern it's great but if you continue to load the weight heavier and heavier you might develop tendonitis tendon um syndromitis where it's the um inflammation of the actual sheath too or tenosis so if i even said that correctly i gotta look at my methodology it's been too long since i've uh, been in anatomy and phys but point being with all that is you might need to take a little bit longer to do the same thing so in order to continue to progress, instead of adding more load, you might add your tempos, your isometrics to it. And if they get bored, instead of doing a bilateral goblet, well, guess what? You hold an isometric split squat in different levels. Okay, that's great. So you st now have the same load, 
you have more time under tension. So it gives a little thickening of the tendon and can work through that. So some people that have patellar tendonitis, they actually start forming holes within the tendon. You got to start dealing with some tendon health with that. And then month three, um, you might actually add a little bit of variability to that where you add a little bit of load and you add the tempo while still moving through it. So it's all kind of within that same spectrum, but we didn't cross any principles off or violate any of those, which still allowed the tendon to be better. And then that um, fourth month, then you work on a little more of the reactive properties. And with volleyball, you'll see this a lot more with, I think your, your pogo hops, your other plyometrics, where it's like, what is the, the level that they can be? And to train those reactive properties, I just think comes down to, again, this, the same thing, like you were saying with muscles, but just realizing where they are. But again, I think you can, I guess, change those to a point, but it's, it's never going to be like, it's never going to be a muscle. A tendon is a tendon. There's a reason that it's attached to the muscle and the bone. Um, but I do think that you can change some of the structures to make them withstand the forces of either as good as they were, if it was a, a rupture or a little bit more, because again, look at some of these high level athletes that you have, they're literally training the properties of all their soft tissue, right. As well as other tissue, think Wolf's law, which is, um, adapting bone, like bone adapts to stress. Well, if I had, I had enough stress to a certain area, kids get Oshkin slaughters because they're stressed to that patellar tendon on their tibial tuberosity. So they literally get uh, what looks like an avulsion fracture on there because of that, that stress. So you're adapting to whatever um, loads are placed upon you. Again, back to now we're at the said principle. So your body will adapt to whatever you apply to it. And it's just realizing what you're applying to it and how far along you can change those. So enough of me rambling, but long story no, short. No, it's is, all good, man. Is, uh, I mean, I'm picking up. I mean, I'm picking up on things that I never, I haven't thought about in years. So yeah, it's all good. I mean, side note, I actually have, I, I had, had, have, um, auto slaughter. So I mean, I had, if anyone, yeah, like if anyone, and mine was just from growing. I mean, it got like everything was just moving. It was just growing too fast. I would, oh god, dude, there was. I at times I hated playing baseball. Um, yeah, when I did because couldn't slide and if I slid I couldn't think about it like it felt like everything was bruised all the time um yep that's another thing that's another thing I know I know you preach I do too is like safety is doing everything it's and that's why I always try to make it like I'm gonna bring it all the way back is not about the number but about how you're doing it like yeah. I don't care if you're gonna ego lift something I want to I care about how you know can you get down in the bucket or can you get out of the hole when you're sprinting? Can you rotate through and bring everything through your rotation? And can you do it fast? You know, if you can throw a 30 pound medicine ball, that's awesome. If you're going extremely slow to do it, I, it, it's not serving you. Like yeah. I, I want to see you accelerate with a 10 pound, you know, and throw it maybe, you know, 15, 10, 15 yards instead of seeing you, barely get a 30 pound out maybe five yeah and, and it just goes back to our principles and our main movements and if we're achieving what we can achieve like i said some of my best athletes have never done olympic lifts which supposedly create the most power possible but i can tell you what they get paid millions of dollars to do it so i don't know if i'm willing to risk some of those things to mess with it where it's like you know what i might be safer doing kettlebell swing they're more comfortable with it more intent 
same thing with the medicine bowl. So it's just going back to our, our main mission, which is again, just to build better people and get the most out of athletes every day. So that way they can perform at the highest level. And again, we can only control so much because like you said earlier, the skills training is a huge component. And it's one of the things like, I wish I could make every athlete better just from what I do. But the reality is like, I can make them be the best athlete period, but it doesn't mean that they would be the best volleyball player or soccer player, or baseball player, because they might not be putting that same work in. Now, a little bit is on us to let them know like that's still extremely important, but you know, it goes the other way too with the, the sports coaches, one doing a good job with that and two realizing that, you know, you have to do both and that I guess getting egos out of it is a sports coach needs to have respect for us and we need to have respect for them and realize we can all work together and start ne figuring things out as a team. That's um, I think yeah. a lot of problems at the high school level is we have a lot of club um, teams and high school teams and, they don't even get along where both the goals, like everybody has the same goals. It seems like nobody wants to do a bad job, but it's like yeah. everybody would be better off. You guys just talk to each other and a lot of like, we get a lot of athletes that play club um, that come to us. And then when they have their high school season, they go to the high school and we don't see them for a while instead of like us all working together. So, I mean, that's just a strength conditioning problem in general, but I mean, it also applies to the sports coaches too, where, one person thinks that they know more than the other instead of both learning from each other. Yeah. And I know I had, I've, I've had the same issue down here and it's not, I mean, it's just, it's the same thing. It's not about, we're not trying to say we're better or you're better, but it's just, uh, I mean, we do have such a unique understanding of the human body. We have such a unique understanding of the biomechanics, uh, how they need to move at least not maybe how they should move all the time because you know, obviously we can't control that on the, on the field of play. We try to as much as possible with what we do in the weight room. But, um, you know, then you have, you have high school coaches that think they're strength coaches and they require them to lift at the school and you go, look, you know, I, I've had this talk with some athletes. I say, I'll go talk to your coach. I'll go talk to your coach personally. I'll, you know, I'll explain to him like what we're doing, why we're doing it, the science behind it, and that you repping out and maxing out every week is not getting you anywhere. It's yeah. getting you a lot of attention within your team. Don't get me wrong, man. You're going to have your boys all over you when you, when you back squat 315 for 10, but it doesn't make you a better athlete. Yeah, and it's just realizing like where that line is. Like one thing that I know Bobby talks about a lot is what is what is strong enough? Like I got a baseball guy that I literally don't let him deadlift anymore, right? He already I mean he deadlifts, but no more weight than what he already does. This kid can naturally deadlift five fifty. Like just walks up, he's just a freak. He's like, I want to get six. I'm like, no, we're we're not doing that. Maybe off season, but right now you just need to to chill, move the weight better, move it faster do that because we need to check our egos both for the athlete both for these other coaches like what's the best for them and again we we all have the best intentions right we're doing the best we can even if we don't realize like what's good and bad so some of the high school coaches are doing the best they can but they don't realize what they don't know and they might have 20 kids where it's like you know what great maybe we shouldn't be back squatting with 20 kids maybe we should work on the goblet squat and then the few extra that are ready that come train with us where, where it's like one-on-one, one-on-five, on one, one on a lot smaller groups where we can have better detail. Why don't we help each other out? So it's like, 
with those athletes, like, let me do that. When it's a group of 20, why don't you do something different? But everybody wants to be able to do everything. And I just think we need to continue to progress on that. And we've gotten a lot better where it's not just one person in a room yelling at people and telling them to pick up heavy stuff and not working on form. I, I do think that the strength and conditioning world now is getting a lot better. But that even goes to say, like, we have to be licensed for athletic training. We have to be a licensed teacher. We have to have this. Well, I almost want to have a higher standard of strength and conditioning where, yeah, there are personal trainers, but I want people to realize like, Hey, you, I want people to have to have a four year or even a master's degree. And I want licensure to be a strength coach. So if you want to say that you're a strength coach, like I want you to hold the state same standards, like in order to work where I work, like the people that I hire, you have to now have, a bachelor's and one certification, whether that's your CSCS or your, your USAW or something similar like Mike Boyles. Like we want those standards because those are the people that we know hold this certain level, but that's not a universal thing yet. Now I think we could eventually get there, but that's only going to help everybody. And if we keep allowing that standard to be too low, just think for anything in life, if you allow that standard to be too low, everything drops to that standard. And I think that's what we have to worry about and hold the kids to as well as like, what standard do you want to live by? And, you know, if you have to go and train at the high school, I, I want to work with your, your high school coaches because we, we have the same goals and I want them to get better. I want to get better. And again, the, like we said earlier, people helping people, I will help you, you help me. And then everybody's happier and we're flourishing. If everybody wants to have their own camps, everybody's hurt, right? The athletes hurt, the coaches hurt. I'm hurt because we're not doing what we need to be doing for the mission that we all agreed upon that we're in the best interest of the athlete. It's like, are, are we really abiding by our principles or are we just talking the talk? Right. We, we actually have to do those things. Yeah. So, well, um, if you got anything else left to say, um, I'm going to give you the last couple of minutes. Um, if you, I mean, if you got any extra advice, uh, my, my big question I try and get everyone to do is, um, which I started a new one last night, actually by accident. Um, was uh what's the best piece of advice you've gotten and what advice would you give to um those up-and-coming professionals and those athletes yeah i kind of have a, a two for one with that then it's basically be the person that you wished you had around when you were younger so be the person that you needed um and i think that's the same thing of what we need to like abide by it's like hey, would I look up to that person if I was me at 16, at 12? And you might need somebody new at each of those points, but it's like whatever person you need for that situation. Um, we talked about earlier athletes breaking up with their girlfriend, boyfriend, be the person that they need at that time to be a better version of themselves. And I just think that that's what we need to remember. That's the best advice that I'd gotten and live by those things too. It's just being a good person. So be that person that other people need at the time that they need it. Okay. All right. Well, I want to say thank you again, man. Um, I know I definitely learned a lot today, this weekend overall, uh, <laughs> connection and Bobby. Um, I'll have those episodes up soon and um, I will definitely, I'm going to tag you in this. Um, I'll be sure to send you the links to everything and uh, send me those articles that you have too. Awesome. I appreciate you having me on. I'll send you that stuff right now. I'll catch you later. All right. Take it easy. You too. See ya.